we came home from vacation. Other ones weren't maybe. Um, maybe it was an option or something. But we came home from vacation and there were cow boxes. In our, our, it had been delivered while we were gone, and so our neighbor had picked it up. So we went over to our neighbor's house, and there's like five or six cow boxes sitting in his living room. I'm like, what is this? Welcome to episode four of the Opinion Dominion. Today we're talking about how we used to build computers before the internet became big. And the reason this is topical is because I grew up in Dallas, and for many years we had this really massive, wonderful, large computer and electronics swap meet we called First Saturday. Um, it took up like five or six city blocks downtown, and you really could find just about anything there that you wanted. Uh, it was the obvious place for us to go to get computer parts. It was the obvious place to go to get any electronics, or if you were trying to find something obscure, you could probably ask a vendor there, and they would be either have it with them or point you in the right direction or maybe give you a business card and say come by my shop later and i'll we'll talk about that thing that you're asking about and it's the first place that i ran into linux it's the first place that i ran into that you could build your own computer and it was just regular old parts going together so it's really very instructional for me to a young man rapidly falling in love with computers and programming it was like a like a feast to rival every thanksgiving put together it was it was amazing I mean, I, my dad and I used to go down there uh, all the time, when, not even just to buy things, but just to experience it and to check it out. You had to wake up very, very early to get down there before all the good stuff was purchased. So we would get up around 4.30 or 5 in the morning, and we'd get in the car and wander on down to downtown and try and find a place to park that wasn't full of junk, because pretty much every parking lot downtown on the east side of of downtown Dallas was occupied by the swap meet. It was very difficult to find a place to park. That's how big it was. This is where we used to go and get our parts before the internet. Because I know now when you go and order parts online, it's incredibly easy. There's no challenge to it at all. You pretty much just go to all the vendors where you know everything is and you've, you do your research on what you're going to buy and you just click order, put it in your cart, and there it is. And it was a lot harder back in the day. Here's where I shake my cane. And it's a lot harder to build your computer, and it's a lot harder to figure out what parts you were going to use because you just had to select from what was available. I mean, back then it, it used to mean something different to build your own computer. It's, I don't want to say it's trivial now, but it's certainly a lot easier. So I'm curious, JT, when did you first build your computer, your first computer, and where did you get your parts from? Okay. Well, you started this episode saying how we were going to talk about how we built our first computer. Mm -hmm. uh, reality, that's not what this... Well, that's sort of what the episode is about. The episode is really about how you built old computers back in the day before the internet. Because, see, I can't really comment on this. So, let, let, me, let me caveat this. When I was younger, we had machines that my parents bought. And I, first it was a 1200XL Atari um, we had the disk drives and the printers and all the stuff, um, and, you know, the little cartridge that was actually in the unit. And then later, we got a Packard Bell 386 that my dad bought. I don't know where he bought it. And that was it as far as desktops. Because after that, there were really no more desktops. Like, I don't want to sound like a hipster and say that I was ahead of the times, but I sort of jumped right into laptops. Okay. When I was in high school, yeah, <laughs> when I was in high school, my dad got me a 286 Compact. Uh, LTE. It's actually the one that I had here 
when you were here for self that I showed you with like the tiny screen. Oh, that's the one. That's the one. That's wow. Okay. So my dad had a friend that worked for DuPont, the big chemical company. Mm -hmm. And at the time they were closing a couple of their facilities in Delaware. And he knew one of the guys and they were having basically a fire sale where it was like, we've got all this stuff. It all needs to just go away. So he got a ton of stuff. Like, I don't know if you remember those steel cabinet and benches that were out on my back porch when mm -hmm. you were here. Oh, I remember those. I was coveting them. That Yeah, that's where he got all of them. And he got them for like pennies on the dollar. Yep. So while he was getting all this other stuff, he got some computers as well. And one of them was this 286 laptop that he didn't really need, so he gave it to me. It was a birthday present, and I was like, oh, cool, I've got a 286 laptop. Um, it, uh, Of course, it was 286, so it only ran DOS. Right. Couldn't put Linux on it, but like that's kind of the direction that I went in. Like A few years after that, uh, he then, I guess from a similar situation, he got me a 386, which I still have. It's right down there. Mm -hmm. And like that's actually the trajectory that I had in computing from then on. So like, uh, you, I'll just go over the list, you know, to just kind of give you the, the direction that things went, because it is sure. it is interesting. So yeah, the first the first one was a 286. It was a blazing 12 megahertz. Did it have turbo mode in there too? Uh, no, it didn't. Oh. It didn't have turbo. It was, it was locked there at 12. Um, then there was the 386 compact, and then I had, and I wish I could find one in better condition, but a digital laptop. It was a high note, and it had a trackball, which was awesome. Oh, wow. How futuristic for them. Yeah, and the, the other neat thing about that laptop is it was, like, made to be super serviceable. Hmm. Like, there's two switches on, like, you know how I'm on, on laptops today, there's, well, not now, but there were, like, two little tabs that you'd flip over to pop the screen up. Mm -hmm. Well, this one, once you did that, there were two little tabs on, the like, the palm rest, and if you pulled those back, you would flip up the entire keyboard, and you would, like, have access to the entire motherboard through there. Oh, wow. That's like early ThinkPads then, too. Yeah, so you could change out whatever. But, like, there were no screws to get into the laptop. It was just, you open the monitor, you flip two tabs, boop, there you are. You can get to the CPU, you can get to the RAM, you can get to the hard drive. It's just all there. Oh, well, we don't build things like that anymore. Gosh. No, definitely not. Uh, but then I ended up with a Dell Latitude uh, that was, like, a 166 Pentium. And then I went, uh, I got a, one of the Liberettos that you saw that's here. Mm -hmm. Those were 130, 166s. A couple older ThinkPads. I think it was a 770 and a 380Z. Then I went to an Omada. A compact armada, one of the big old brick. And then that was like too heavy. I didn't want to lug that around. It was too big and too heavy. So I went back and got another Liberetto. That was the... It's not fair to call that a laptop at that point. That's a luggable. Well, I mean, it was a laptop. I and mean, it covered your whole lap. <laughs> um, Maybe we should call it a multiple laps top. Yeah. You know, then I got the uh, the, the bigger Toshiba Liberetto. And then uh, at this time, all laptops were all pretty much still black. Like originally they were all beige mm -hmm. because that's the way computers were. You wanted to buy a computer, you both you went and bought a gray box, a beige box, and that was that was what you had. That was what you bought. There were some that were grayish, but that was pretty much it. Unless you bought a gateway and it was decorated like a cow. That was one of the cool things about gateways. That was one of the only cool things about gateways, but it really was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. We came home from vacation. Oh, no, other ones weren't, maybe. Um, maybe it was an option or something. But we came home from vacation, and there were cow boxes. In our, our, it had been delivered while we were gone, and so our neighbor had picked it up. So we went over to our neighbor's house, and there's like five or six cow boxes sitting in his living room. I'm like, what is this? Well, that's our new computer. It's a cow. Well, yeah, it's our new computer. It's just a box. I thought it was really neat as a kid. But yeah, so like at that time, you know, they were still solid colors. But then I got a, a laptop by a company called Fujitsu. And this would have been 
late 90s and it was different because it was all silver mm. and it was like the only all silver at the time and i don't remember the exact model of it i remember it was a k62 which you could upgrade to a k63 uh -huh. which i never actually ended up doing it was silver and it didn't have a track pad or like the track point like the ibms it had this thing that was like the size of a quarter down where a track pad would be that was like a little mini joystick, hmm. but it was like flush with the system. It was it was interesting. Like a little coin that slid back and forth? Kind of, but like it didn't slide much. Okay. It was like just like a millimeter in each direction. Okay. Then uh, a Toshiba, another Fujitsu, and then I kind of went down that, tr from that point on, it was either Fujitsu's or IBM Lenovo's. And it's just like, you know... Y510, I had a Fujitsu P1620, then like a whole bunch of ThinkPads, like an R40, an X31, an X32, an X220, an X230, a couple carbons. This is, I'm staggered by how the number of these. You've rattled off like 30 different models. Yeah, I had, I've, I've had a ton of laptops. And this is the span of like 20 years. How many laptops did you go through? Like one a year? Oh, no, quite a lot. Because a lot of these I would get for like work. So I could write it off as a business expense, like, oh, I'm getting a new contract with this new business. Ah. And because I was doing security work, there was a lot of, they didn't want my, their information that I might be working on to be able to cross streams with anyone else's information. Mm -hmm. So built into the contract was, you're going to buy a laptop, and I'm going to use that laptop on your contract and only your contract. And then when it was done, it was like, well, I've got the laptop to use now. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. But that way, there was no way any information could get crossed or, right. you know. So, yeah, uh, laptops for days, just all over the place. That was the trajectory that I took. Like, I didn't actually build, with air quotes, my own system until probably 2010. That's remarkable to me. I really, I'm... I'm... <laughs> yeah. I remember, because it, it was a first gen i5. And I remember, like, at the time being like, okay, so this is like... What type of RAM do I get? Is this because I didn't know? Because <laughs> I would always, decide before. I would just, I would, you know, at the time back in the day, you would call up the company and be like, I want to order this laptop that I saw in this magazine and give them your address and your payment information and then they would send it to you. Or, you know, when the internet started taking off and then these places had online stores, just buy it online and it would come to me. So I never had to worry about, like, was this drive compatible? Is this RAM compatible? Like, I know what my options are. I'd pick them and then go. You missed all the fun parts, though. That, that was... Yeah, I, I really did. I would buy systems off of friends that they had gone through the fun of building a system, but I, I didn't until, that. like I said, that was a first-gen i5. And then a year after that, I built uh, a dual Xeon workstation. And then I used that. That would have been like 2011, maybe. I used that up until like 2017. Mm -hmm. And I actually, I sold that to our mutual friend, Jason Plum, okay. who we know from Self. And then in, I think it was late 2018, I built uh, an i7 Intel system. And like, that's, that's actually it. That's, I'm, I'm still, I'm just flabbergasted by this because. I've had more servers, enterprise servers, than I have had desktop computers. Like, by an order of magnitude. Wow. I'm just looking at all the hardware on your, on your wall there and i think a lot of that is server boards but isn't there at least one desktop board in there um, all server gear. yeah the stuff back here further in the back is old desktop gear okay that i got from other systems that i bought from people but like all of this this is all server gear i guess i just assumed that you would have you know there's, there's a strong correlation for people running linux and people building their own computers mm -hmm. as far as i can tell and most people i knew back in the day were doing both so yeah, most people did. Like, I, is... I admit I'm a total outlier in that way. And, you know, it's it's funny because I go to conferences, and this is this is something that will actually come up in a future episode, 
where people have an expectation of what your experiences are. And then you talk to them and they're like, wait, what? This is exactly the way it happened. Yeah. Like this episode. I didn't really build a computer until 2010 because I never needed to and didn't have a reason to. That's cool. And you're like, well, how, how is that possible? How, how could you have lived without doing this? Just, I had other things to do and I just never got around to it. Okay. That's fair. I just, I, I'm, I'm flabbergasted by that, but I think it's also kind of cool that it illustrates the diversity of where people can get to where we all are today. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some people that uh, only ever used super embedded stuff or, you know, maybe their first experience with Linux started with Raspberry Pi and Raspbian back in was it 2012 or whenever it was. How long have we had Raspberry Pi for? You know, that could be their first experience. You know, I just, I, I guess I assume the people that have been doing Linux forever had these experiences that I did. And it's illuminating to say, nope, that's not always accurate. So I actually appreciate you illuminating me to that. Yeah, like when I was younger, I remember us, my dad would take my brother and I up to, it was a yearly computer show that would happen in, um, I think it was King of Prussia area in Pennsylvania. And it was like once a year, this was the, the computer show. And a whole bunch of vendors would come and a whole bunch of people would come. And I'm guessing that's sort of like what you had on your like weekly, monthly thing. But we had it like once a year. Okay. And so we would go up there and my dad would always want to see like the new stuff that's coming out or if he could get something for a deal or, but like I'd never bought anything or built anything from that. For one birthday, I remember he upgraded the 386 system. Um, he upgraded it to have four meg RAM mm-hmm. and a dual speed CD-ROM. Oh, dual speed. Oh man. Yeah. And that was like my birthday present. And what I actually think it was, was that was how he convinced his, my mom, his wife that Oh no no this this is this is for the this is for the boys they're they're really gonna like this but really he was doing it because he wanted the extra stuff in the computer for him almost yeah pretty much yeah because I don't think at that time we had anything that required a CD ROM like at all why did we need a CD ROM I don't know but we got one and like I certainly didn't ask for one because well I would have not known what to do with the thing. <laughs> Because we didn't have anything that used it. You open the slot, you put the thing in, and you push it closed, and things happen. Well, I remember, actually, it was a tray. So you'd hit the button, and a tray would pop out. Okay. Not like the tray, like normal, like it was a whole cartridge that you would then pull out. You would have to flip up a plastic lid, put the CD in it, close the plastic lid, and it was in this cartridge, and then slide the cartridge back in. Like like caddies. I remember those. Yeah, caddies. Well, that's that's old school. We don't do caddies. We haven't done caddies for a long time. But back then, it was a good way to protect your stuff, right? Because you could leave it in the cat. I think what they were hoping you'd do is buy a whole bunch of caddies, just one for each of your discs that you were trying to keep, and then that's another revenue stream for them. Also, it, it is for, to protect things, but I don't know that that was really why they were doing it. Perhaps Yeah, not. I don't know. But I just, I just remember seeing that. And then when my school got CD-ROMs, they got the regular style CD-ROMs that like we're all used to today. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, like the first time I saw it, like, well, well, where's where's the caddy go? Like, why why is the caddy go? <laughs> like, I could just I can just stick it in there, like, and then and then Th- what? That doesn't work. That that's gonna break it. It's 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 gonna rattle around in there. Yeah, gosh, I can imagine that. I remember we got a. I thought it was so cool. We got a slot only, like not the tray, but just a slot. I felt like I was in the Matrix or something. Ooh, oh, seriously, fancy. we were. I, I don't remember when this was. Like uh, 1998, 99, maybe. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was so cool. Also. You used to have two CD-ROM drives, one for the reading and the other one to write or burn. Because if you were going to image something, you wanted to copy your music, you had to have two drives, right? Yeah. We don't do that anymore, but uh, back then we did. 
It's just, it was just all these things that we, all these patterns that are no longer valid that they are so vivid to me. <laughs> I can still remember all the details of that first computer. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean much, but uh, it was amazing. Yeah, in talking to others, it seems like just like today, I mean, gee, the more things change, the more they stay the same, that people were getting into custom building computers because they wanted to do games and they needed a system that was powerful enough to do the games. That's why I built my first computer. And I don't think I mentioned that to dad, but uh, we had a family 486 and I I was playing Doom and Doom 2 on it and all those old school games, two and a half D games. And then I got a hold of a copy of the Quake preview. I think it was like the first of the four arenas i think is what they called them okay and it ran it barely like two maybe two and a half frames a second depending on how many monsters were on the screen well i still tried to play that but you can imagine how well that went so i was like i need to build another computer this is the reason that i needed i was going to go do it i'd been saving up a little money we we're going to go down and get all these parts i didn't tell him it's because i wanted to play quick but he was just happy you know he was happy that my interest in computers were taking off in general mm-hmm. so he was willing to support I wanted to go down to build a computer. And so we went down and we did our research at this swap meet and it was pretty much the only place. I mean, the options there for those of you that were building computers, you may remember you had, if you were lucky, you had this local vendors or maybe a catalog to order from if you were a little bit farther out. But if you weren't in a major tech town, there wasn't a lot of vendors selling computer parts. It was like one or two. CompUSA maybe was your only source. And that was not much later though. That's true. You didn't want to try and build a computer from CompUSA anyway. That never went well, and you paid twice as much for everything. It was just bad. Just didn't do it. Yeah, it's like why people go to Best Buy to buy parts to build a computer today. I go, hmm, maybe, maybe not. Find a micro center. Go to a micro center. Don't go to Best Buy. There's not very many micro centers in the United States. There's a heck of a lot more Best Buys. And if you just need a hard drive, that's not a bad for key things. Like, I don't mind. I don't need to go to micro center to buy a mouse. Future JT here. So I'm sitting editing this episode, and I find this comment by Jeff very ironic. You see, the last time I visited Jeff in Texas, guess what we did? That's right. We went to Micro Center to buy a mouse. Just saying. I'm sure Best Buy has, you know, they're not going to have the selection, but they'll have a perfectly adequate mouse. But I'm probably not going to buy my motherboard from Best Buy. Not to rain on them. They have a lot of good stuff there. It's just not where I'm going to go for that. Yeah. yeah, I was I was never really a gamer. And I mean, if I'm blunt, I'm still not really a gamer. Like when I was younger, if I could play SimCity and Wolfenstein 3D, like the original Wolfenstein, mm-hmm. like I, I, w- I was happy. You know, later SimCity 2000 came out and that was like amazing. And then I was I was happy. Uh, like Sid Meier, Alpha Centauri and like Star Trek Armada 2 were like the first two games that were like I really needed a more powerful computer. And then I would just buy one off a friend because they needed something even more powerful for the latest game that they were trying to play. But like for most gaming, like when I was growing up, we had a NES. And so we just we just used that. Um, uh-huh. At some point, I got a PlayStation for a birthday gift. And then that was my gaming thing. But like I wasn't a PlayStation fanboy by any means. It was just there were games that I wanted to play on the PlayStation uh-huh. that I had played before with friends that I liked. Because like I didn't get a PS2 until like 2008. That was like... 10 years after they came out, right? Right, right. I've never had a PS3. Um, I had a PS4 that I bought off a friend that I had for like six months in 2019, but then I sold it because I never really used it at all. Yeah, there's no point in keeping it. And they, they've taken away all the Linux modes of those too, so you can't really use it for computing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, other than like these days, every once in a while I'll play Spore or like Sins of a Solar Empire or Skyrim or Fallout 4, a.k.a. Skyrim with guns. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that's it like th- those are the it's games the i play engine. 
And it's the same same company, right? Yeah, that engine for Skyrim Fallout 4, that's actually the same engine from like, I think it was like 1999, 98 when it was first created, and they've just bolted more stuff on. So that's like the Morrowind or something engine, I think. Yeah. Well, you're not elite like that? I mean, you're not going and trolling people and smashing them in the face with whatever kids are smashing people in the face with these days? I don't know what the games are that people play anymore. I just... I stick to my old stuff. No, because I was never... Yeah, I was never big on the uh, the PvP type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, or the the Battle Royale games, which are all the rage now. Like, I don't want to play against other humans. I want to play against a computer and just do my own thing. Like, this is one reason, like, EVE Online, aka Spreadsheets in Space, looks like a really fun game. But, like, I just don't want to play against other people. And I realize there's no way that game could be a single-person game. Yeah, it doesn't game, exist. Yes. But, like, that type of basey type adventure game type thing would be great and i guess in a way that's kind of like what elite dangerous is hmm. um which or I home world or any number of ones play. like that yeah i just i was never a big gamer and then the never obviously a big online gamer like i remember playing warcraft 2 with a friend where we would run a cable between the two systems so that we could play against each other Oh, yeah. I remember those days. Gosh. But IPX, SPX. That's mm -hmm. what they were using back then. Yeah. And you had to try multiple times because you had to make sure that the protocol would sync up because it wasn't always very good at that. Yeah. And you had to do like timing at the right. Like he had to start mm -hmm. and you had to join like within a certain yeah. window and if exactly. you got it wrong, then it wouldn't work. So you'd spend like half an hour trying to get it synced up. Yep. So then and you then can play finally for a can bit. play your game. Yeah. yeah. So like I remember trying to do Doom 2 across a modem. We would be on the phone we'd have to hang up and try and coordinate like okay at uh 30 seconds past when we hang up you're going to start the game and at 34 seconds past when we hang up i'm going to try and connect to your game and if i don't connect by 48 seconds we know it's failed and i'll call you back we had to coordinate these things with one phone line <laughs> yeah man those are the days yeah but i was i built the computer that we were playing all those games on so yeah but nowadays like you don't you don't have to do any of that because everything's really all ip don't. based so you just mm -hmm. here's the ip address go or it's, or it's pre-baked in to mm. an address online, and it's just right. DNS does its thing, and okay, I'm online now. I'm playing the game. Yep. Wow. God, that was a blast from the past. I was not expecting, but that was actually pretty fun to go back through that. So you were a gamer from what you're describing, but it's not heavy. So you had a uh, you didn't invest in it the way a lot of other people might have, but you certainly gamed. It seems like yeah, like maybe once or twice a month. Okay. No, it's, it's it's fun to relax into something that's not real and, and just go, you know, bash orcs in Skyrim or something. Are there orcs in Skyrim? I there can't are. Remember. Okay. Yeah, but you don't bash the orcs. The orcs the orcs are fine. They're a playable race, I believe. Yes, they so are. So you don't always want to bash the orcs just because they're orcs. Yeah. Anyway. Gosh, I did not intend for us to go there. Well, I'm glad it went where it did. Um, I enjoyed it. I just think uh, I wasn't anticipating it. I, but I, I was expecting you to have some experience in this too. I was going to be like, hey, JT, what was yours like? And you were going to tell me how you bought parts. I was actually kind of interested. And the answer is you didn't. Yeah, like, you know, that's one of the things that I, I hope we can we can really make a, a thing is that this is just actual upfront, honest conversation. And mm -hmm. conversation goes where it goes. It does. And sometimes it's going to go a little little awry from where the, uh, the one person thought it was going to go. But that's fine. That's what makes it interesting. I, I like that. And hopefully that's what makes it uh, enjoyable for others to listen to. I, I think it, or the organicness, organicity, or organic nature of the conversation is much more palatable to a listener, I would hope. If not, please let us know, and we'll go back to being robotic in our topics. But I, I kind of like doing this, so even if you tell me to go be robotic, I may say no. So 
I've enjoyed talking with you about all this stuff. Yeah, it's been fun. I, I would like to hear from others uh, what kind of their experiences were if they when they were building old machines. You know, did they build old machines or did they did they take the route that I took? And if they did build, you know, what kind of things that they remember, um, what stood out to them? Uh, it'd be interesting to see what the what the community thinks. Yeah, come on, bail me out here, guys and gals. I, I need some help here. I'm drowning because he didn't have any of this experience and I needed somebody to bounce this off of and commiserate with because it used to be really hard to build these things. There wasn't instruction manuals or, you know, go on Reddit, subreddit here for building a computer and everyone just tells you how to do it. We didn't have any of those things. Hey, wait, where's my cane? Let me get my cane out here so I can shake it. We didn't have any of those things. We had to figure it out and hope that they had the slots right and we didn't ESD something to death. None of those things are experiences you had until you started building servers. Which, when did you start building servers, by the way? I'm curious. Uh, would have been 2011. Okay. So, roughly about when you started building your desktops. Yeah. It was a year later. Okay. was when I built my first server. Okay. Because before then, I just mm -hmm. bought what I needed, pick up the phone, make the call. Hey, I need a server here at this time <laughs> on this day. That must have been nice. Make it happen. I was always scrounging to get my stuff, so... Like, well, again, it was for work contracts, right? So yep. it wasn't coming out of my pocket. So a whole lot easier to just buy a ton of stuff when other people are paying for it. That's true. That's very true. So that sounds horrible, but that is the way business works. That really, that's how it works. You know, same thing, air travel and all that. It's just, it's their dime. We're going to do what's necessary, whatever they tell us to do. And let's see if we can guide them into doing things the way we want, perhaps. So we want a new server. Oh, I'm going to need a new server for this contract. That's also how you lose contracts if you put too much cost in them just putting that out there yeah there's a healthy balance to keep there is there is but uh i imagine you struck it pretty well because uh, you would not be where you are today if you had done otherwise who knows maybe not well anyway, i've really enjoyed talking with you about all this uh we'll sign off now and we'll see you again next episode i like the dog bark at the end <laughs> i'm gonna leave that in maybe maybe not